These are the daily lectionary comments for January the 26th. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter 2, uh, where we once again are, are looking at the, uh, the promise to the Gentiles to be able to join God's people and be integrated with them. And then Romans chapter 15, where Paul wraps up a couple of themes that he's been dealing with, with for a while, bearing with the weaker brother and the joy of the gospel going to the nations. Zechariah chapter 2 and 3 is talking about the renewal of Jerusalem and the renewal of the priesthood and the hope for the Gentiles. It begins with um, the measuring line. So we have an angel with a measuring line, and he's measuring Jerusalem. It's, it's sort of like uh, fitting your, your house for, you know, measuring your house for furniture or curtains or something like that. Um, that God has big plans for Jerusalem, and uh, and this angel is is getting out the measuring line in order to make sure that Jerusalem is properly prepared and to send the message that God very much has His eye on this city, <clears throat> and and so uh, and and He says Jerusalem shall be inhabited. That's the message here. Then also uh, beginning at verse six, verse six and seven, there's there's a call. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, to leave, to evacuate Babylon, and up, up, it says, and return to Zion. The fact of the matter is, uh, we're 15 years after uh, the the uh, Jews have been permitted to return to Judea, and many have returned, but um, but many have not. In fact, probably most have not returned. And so uh, uh, the Lord is calling those who still have not come back uh, to get up and leave uh, Babylon and come back uh, and restore Zion, be- because God's promise is being fulfilled, and this is all part of His His fulfillment. Verse eleven is an incredibly uh, powerful uh, uh, verse, and it speaks of um, many nations. It says, "And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be My people, and I will dwell uh, in your midst." I mean, that is a direct promise that the nations who join themselves to the Lord will be integrated to God's people and live metaphorically here in Jerusalem. And this is exactly the kinds of promises that we saw over and over again in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, and in Ezekiel. We have this um, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, we're introduced to Joshua. Now, Joshua is the high priest. And Joshua is presented as standing there. Um, Satan is next to him. And uh, uh, presumably accusing um, Joshua. And Joshua himself is dressed in filthy rags. And the Lord is rebuking Satan. I rebuke you. Um, and then we have the order that, uh, that Joshua be stripped of his filthy clothes and dressed in clean garments and given a nice white turban. So this is this is symbolizing the renewal of of uh, uh, Joshua of the high priesthood and, and and of the priestly ministry there in the newly constructed or about to be completed newly constructed temple, second temple. And it points out there right at the very end of that paragraph, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. This angel of the Lord is a very special being. Um, it's it, it's 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 oftentimes like one of the angels but seems to have a much more direct access to God, uh, sometimes appears to speak for God, I mean, almost directly. Uh, the angel of the Lord is oftentimes um, seen or treated as though it's a, a, a pre-incarnate um, a vision of, of Christ himself who is deeply involved in his people. 
So that's the angel of the Lord. And the fact that he's just kind of standing by is very interesting, putting his stamp of approval on all that we're seeing. Now then, uh, also, we, we have this uh, expression that um, uh, it says here in, in verse um, 3, verse 8, I will bring my servant the branch. Now he's talking about Joshua, the high priest. And he says, I will bring my servant the branch. Now those two words, my servant and the branch, hearken back to both Isaiah and Jeremiah, both of whom use the expression, my servant and the branch, to refer to the coming king. What's interesting here is that these two are combined and applied to Joshua, the high priest. So we uh, think about how Christ himself, when he comes into this world, is our king and our great high priest. He combines those two offices. And it's really quite uh, an interesting thing. He also says um, that, um, that he talks about the removal of the iniquity of the people in a single day. Look at verse 9. And we can't hardly think of anything other than Good Friday when we think of the removal of the sins of the people uh, in a single day. This is a, a very dense uh, little vision with all kinds of little parts in it, which have an immediate, um, sort of an immediate application, the restoration of the temple, the restoration of the, of the, um, uh, of the priesthood, the calling of the people back to Jerusalem from Babylon. But it also has a whole bunch of strains that reach way into the future, particularly into the New Testament future. When the king comes, the branch, God's servant, uh, who will bear the iniquities of the world. Remember Isaiah 53, uh, that the centerpiece of the servant's work is to atone for the sins of Israel and, uh, uh, and for the sins of the world. Now we have all of this kind of coming together and looking forward to what the true branch the true servant and the true high priest will do when he comes into this world in order to fill, fulfill all these prophecies. What will happen? Well, not only will Israel be redeemed, but also the message will go out to the nations and the nations themselves will stream to the Lord and to Zion and they will be integrated into God's people just as Paul uh, preaches over and over again in Ephesians and here in a little bit in, in, um, uh, in Romans that the Gentiles are fully incorporated into the people of God. Romans chapter 15. There's 16 chapters in Romans. A lot of the 16th chapter is taken with the list of names that, that uh, Paul will be sending greetings to. And so chapter 15, we're really beginning to wrap things up. And, and Paul is going to address two themes here that he has been discussing at some length in previous chapters. And he's really just kind of wrapping things up here. Um, here in the first part, he talks about our obligations to our weaker brothers or to others in the congregation. In other words, we, we don't let, for the sake of food, we don't destroy the things for which Christ died. We are careful not to injure or not to put stumbling blocks this is really using the language of, of, um, of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But we don't put stumbling blocks in the way uh, of others. But we are, we are careful with all of God's people. To be a Christian means to not only be a part 
of the Christian church and a part of a congregation, but it is also to, to incur, incur a very high duty to the congregation and to the others in the congregation. It, it's just not really me and Jesus, and it's, it's not as though my rights uh, are trump the, the needs of the others in the congregation. We are to love one another as Christ has loved us. And uh, that means we, we, we set aside our rights and our prerogatives when the needs of our brothers and sisters require it. And that's, that's what we do. So he also talks about this um, a beautiful um, verse where he talks about uh, the uh, encouragement uh, of the scriptures so that we may have hope. It says here that through uh, the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He's just finished citing Psalm 69. And then he, he gives that little line there that explains to us that the scriptures have been written for our benefit so that we might be encouraged and have hope. In other words, live in this world in the confidence that God's promises that he's made in the past and that he has made to us now are going to be fulfilled and we are going to rejoice so that whatever the bitterness of problems of today are, um, we need to take the edge off of that by reminding ourselves of where God is taking us. And we get that through the scriptures. We don't get that just by sort of trying to inculcate uh, a positive attitude. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is informing our hearts and our minds through what God has promised and done in scripture so that we may have confidence in terms of what things really look like now. They're not as bad as you think, and God is never really behind. So he talks about that, our obligations to, to our brothers and sisters in the church. He's just finishing up what he's already talked about. And then he turns his attention to, um, to the relationship of Jews and Gentiles again, and really focusing he says uh, in, in verse uh, 8, Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is to Jews, to show God's truthfulness. In other words, that God is faithful to his promises in order to confirm, he says, the promises given to the patriarchs. So, so uh, Christ came because God made promises to the patriarchs and to their descendants, and the coming of Christ is the fulfillment of all of those promises. And, he says, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So Christ came for the benefit of Israel. Christ came for the benefit of the entire world, um, for the Jews and Gentiles together to rejoice under one king. And then um, uh, Paul cites a number of passages from uh, Isaiah and Deuteronomy and from the Psalms, just underscoring that these promises that God has made concerning the Gentiles it is not as though that isn't already deeply baked into the Old Testament, like something new is happening now that hasn't already been prophesied. Actually, this is the fulfillment of God's promises that the gospel should go out to the Gentiles and that the Gentiles should be brought into God's plan of salvation. <clears throat> so this is not a new thing, although it's being met with a lot of resistance. Uh, and in many ways, it was something that, that the early Christians didn't anticipate and that, that Judaism resisted strongly uh, when the gospel was being preached to Gentiles. And yet Paul says it's all over the Hebrew scriptures, and it is certainly according to God's plan. So uh, Paul's wrapping up here his, those, those two major arguments, uh, and, uh, and tomorrow we'll get to the end of this wonderful book 
uh, Paul's letter to the Romans.